Good morning. This morning, we are privileged to have a guest preacher. We uh, are delighted to have Terry Fisher here preaching. Terry is a deacon at Christchurch. She's married to Mark and has been a friend to many in our community for a decade or more. Terry, why don't I invite you up? Uh, Terry is a mom and grandmom, and uh, she is a thoughtful and creative follower of Jesus. When I first got to know Terry, she was pastor of arts at Christ Church, and I remember you doing that uh, job with a lot of attention and a lot of skill and uh, sensitivity, so I was really blessed by that, and we are excited to have you here. Just as you're seated, why don't you extend a hand? I'm going to pray a blessing over Terry as she comes to share God's Word to us. Gracious and almighty God, we thank you for the gift that Terry is to your church uh, here in Austin. We thank you for the gift of your word and your spirit. And we ask this morning that these gifts would work together such that we would receive a word from you for today, for us as your people. I pray that Terry, as she shares her word, would uh, have a sense of being empowered by your Holy Spirit and of preaching, speaking um, with your deep delight and favor for her. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Terry. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Brother Peter, for that lovely introduction. As I, I look out on you today, I see a few familiar faces and many, many, many people that I don't yet know. But I am just delighted to be here with you today. Um, when I was praying and thinking about being with you, I was pondering the communion of the saints in the kingdom of God and the connection with baptism to that. So while we have been a part, the few of you that are here that were part of the, the people that we sent out years ago from Christ Church, um, we're still joined together in that same kingdom. We just happen to need different buildings. So I'm pretty new to this homily thing. I wasn't uh, ordained until I was in my 60s, uh, a few years back. <laughs> um, years ago, I read a pastor's autobiography. And in it, he described this overwhelming fear of speaking in front of a crowd. And I can relate with that this morning. <laughs> His mentor advised him to picture the crowd as somehow vulnerable. Perhaps they arrived mistakenly in their pajamas or they forgot their shoes. And I was thinking about that image and um, I decided to picture you in a different way. I wondered if I might picture you clothed in your baptismal robes. And that is what I want to see in my imagination this morning. We're all vulnerable before one another, aren't we? But we're all wearing our robes. You may be visiting today uh, for the first time. You might be here to attend uh, someone's baptism as a, a niece, a nephew, a grandchild is being baptized. I just want to say that um, one thing that strikes me about how we hold baptism in the Anglican churches that I'm familiar with is that we can hold both infant baptism 
which happens before a reasonable age of consent, clearly, and believer's baptism, which we practice after the age of consent. And I think that's a really beautiful um, perspective to hold in that we are always incomplete in our understanding of God and his ways. So um, I just celebrate that and see it as a gift. Our lives are created in collections of moments. And those moments are then embedded in our brains and even our bodies as memories. Perhaps the moment you learned to ride a bike or when you caught your first fish or experienced a truly ripe peach fresh from the tree. Those are joyous moments, right? But we also hold moments of pain and grief, a bad crash on our bike, losing our pet, getting a bad medical report, or losing someone you love. All those moments, good and bad, joyful or full of grief, shape and define us as we lay them down in our memories. But what should be the primary moment we turn to for defining who we are? The place where our truest self is found. Is baptism just another moment, or should we see it as the moment in time? And if it is the moment in time, what does it mean to you as baptized people and to the children being baptized today? I'm going to share two very different baptismal moments. One, a believer's baptism, which was my own, and one, an infant baptism, that of my youngest granddaughter. My own baptism was as a very new believer at age 16. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't fully understand what this was all about. To make it really clear how little I knew I didn't understand the Holy Trinity, and I really was a little bit afraid of this thing called the Holy Spirit. I had just come to the Lord through an evangelical outreach in my small mountain town in Northern California. The Assembly of God Church that birthed the outreach was in an old clapboard building with wooden walls, wooden floors, and wooden pews. There was a stage at the right, three or four feet in height. And in the floor of the stage, a baptismal tank had been built. It was an evening in early November in the mountains, already cold outside with the possibility of snow hovering in the atmosphere. And as I said, it was a very old building. And there was only one way to fill the baptismal tank. A hose had run all day from a spigot outside. The water in this little town isn't just like the temperature of the air. It is pumped from springs of glacial water. The church women robed me in white over their, my jeans and t-shirt And unknowing and unsure of many things, I was baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I was the last person in the line to be baptized that day. 
my friends Sam and Dale and a couple of others had gone before me. And I did mention it was in Assemblies of God Church, right? My baptismal friends all came bursting out of the water with dramatic exclamations, spoken in different tongues. It was wonderful and holy and ecstatic. And now it was my turn. I entered the newly melted ice water, uncertain of many things, save one. I knew that Jesus had saved me. And I knew that I wanted to follow him. So my own rising up from death into new life was not visibly dramatic. I came up, my white robe drenched in the baptismal waters. I shook the pastor's hand, and I said, thank you. (laughs) And then I made a shivering retreat to the back room. That moment in time defines the remainder of my life. Now, contrast that with my two-year-old granddaughters, which took place on a warm Easter Sunday last year in Southern California. Like me, Violet Hope was clothed in white from head to toe. The church she was baptized in was built in elegant lines, reminiscent of the English heritage walls of solid stone, and steeply pitched wooden beams above our heads. It was beautified with stained glass and decorated with baskets of Easter lilies and white flowers. Her baptism took place at an intricately carved wooden altar. Her body remained warm and dry, while her little blonde head was held over a large, engraved silver bowl. Three times water was poured over her very still head. The priest spoke with confidence. Violet Hope, I baptize you in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. My granddaughter's life will forever be defined by that moment of her baptism. She was received into God's kingdom And just as Jesus was named beloved son, when he rose up from his own baptism, so each of us is named beloved child at ours. And now, not only am I related to Violet through DNA and family ties, my granddaughter is also my sister in the kingdom of Christ. Little Violet at two has even less understanding than I did at 16 but she was brought into God's kingdom through the act of baptism. My granddaughter and I entered the baptismal waters at two very different points on the timeline of our lives. The moment of her baptism will largely be shaped by pictures and by her family's recalling it to her, much like the infants that are here today. The moment of my baptism is shaped by my 16-year-old perceptions in my life experience at that time. Yet we received the same gift. New life in Christ. We're given the same identity, beloved, and we receive the same commission. We are no longer to shape ourselves for ourselves, 
but to shape it into the image of Christ, the Father's beloved. And we're commissioned to grow as his disciples in order to share our faith with those around us, making disciples of the nations. Being baptized does happen in a moment, but growing into our baptism is a lifetime calling and occupation. You could say, as Christians, our life's occupation or vocation, our ultimate vocation, if you will, is determined by the precise moment of exiting the waters. It matters little at which moment that happens. Our responsibility, our goal is always the same, to become like Christ our Lord, to wear his baptismal clothing, Galatians 3.27 teaches, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And from Isaiah 61, we read, for he has clothed me with the robe of salvation and wrapped me in the mantle of justice. Infant or adult, we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but beloved, we're also still being clothed through our ongoing formation as disciples. Well-known Reformation pastor Martin Luther described it this way. In baptism, therefore, every Christian has enough to study and practice all his or her life. Christians always have enough to do to firmly believe what baptism promises and brings, victory over death and the devil the forgiveness of sins, God's grace, the entire Christ, and the Holy Spirit with his gifts. What a beautiful and exciting passage. We're all to be students of our baptisms. Young and old and in between, our collective goal is not to find our identity in our work, in the cultural moment, in how someone else sees us in what we fail at or what we succeed at. Our identity, our true self, is found in Christ. Metaphorically speaking, when we picture ourselves robed in Christ, we have the responsibility now, we have the privilege, really, to be stitching together our baptismal robes in our earthly existence. So how do we engage with every part of life to be shaped that way? For parents and extended family, godparents, your church community, these infants today are dependent on you to be the tailors and seamstresses of their early baptismal robes in their growing years. You'll soon make a promise to the newly baptized to do just that. We also have an opportunity today to renew our own baptismal, baptismal memories. Martin Luther pointed out that our baptism we receive as a gift, but then we do have this practice to do. Colossians 3, 5 through 11 teaches some of that responsibility. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another. Since you have taken off your old self with your practice, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We die to ourselves in the waters of baptism in that one moment, but we continue to reform ourselves, to reclothe ourselves in our baptismal reality. Putting the old habits of sin to death, we're told to be renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In order to understand our new form, we have to study. And what we study is the word. Now, the church down through the centuries has developed various ways to assist parents and ourselves as adults in the task of helping their children to gain such knowledge. And these are no less true for us today. Classes on Sunday mornings or small groups and Bible studies, catechesis as our children get older or for adults looking to be confirmed. These are all ways we can stitch together our baptismal robe. I just finished the novel, uh, The Chosen, by Chaim Potek. It was my third one that I've read by him. And I'm always struck by the depth of the formational habits of the Orthodox Jewish culture. During the pandemic, my husband and I watched a, a series, a TV series. We're quite captivated by it called Stiesel. Has anybody... Anybody heard of it? I recommend it. It was, it was wonderful. Um, it's a Jewish production, and it's set in a Hasidic community inside Jerusalem. The habits and rhythms of Jewish life were slow and comforting, especially with chaos outside our walls during the pandemic, right? Um, and their constant awareness of who they were as a people is something to ponder. I have some spiritual habits and rhythms, and I'm sure you do too. And I'm not, but I'm not formed in the same depth and way that they practice their faith. So I can ask myself, even at my age, how might I be formed more deeply? How might I beautify my baptismal clothing? And I know that most families are far busier today than when I was raising my family. I think it was easier to say no to too much busyness. But I still look back and wish we'd dug deeper into family spiritual formation. I'd like to suggest a few practices for young and old alike as you think about how you might want to practice in the new year. These are all basic and um, I'm sure many of these habits are already formed. We practice gratefulness over meals and teach our children a simple prayer even just that they can say when they're not with you. Practice evening family prayer. Uh, if you don't have a book of common prayer, it's a wonderful resource 
wonderful, wonderful resource. Memorize the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, the creeds and the psalms and prayers of great saints throughout history, such as St. Patrick's Breastplate. Post scripture around the house to pause and recite together. And hang visual reminders, beautiful visual reminders of who we are as a people. And to all this goodness, I would uh, add, because I always have to add, read good books. Read good books aloud to your children. Uh, fiction, nonfiction, uh, those are formative too. Paul, the author of Colossians, names us as the father named Jesus at his baptism, beloved. And he gives us virtues to develop as well. In Colossians 3, 12 14, we read, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, there's that word again, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Binding us together in perfect love turns us toward the community. Our psalm today begins with the declaration that it is good when brothers dwell in unity. In ancient times, community was essential to survival. We're very uh, independent today. Families then dwelled together. Communities were tight-knit and lived close to one another, depending on one another, sometimes for daily sustenance. They were literally in each other's space. And it's harder to wear a damaged robe or an incomplete robe when you're that close together. Psalm 133 declares it to be so good to live together that it is like the blessing of precious oil, which is a reference to Aaron and his priesthood. We were baptized into our high priest, Jesus, and enrobed in his righteousness. And like the dew of Hermon, water often being an image of blessing, and sometimes of, of course, baptism in our scripture which falls on the Mount of Zion, which is an image of the church. The Lord gives life evermore. That's how good it is to dwell with brothers in the unity of our baptisms. Our community contributes to our discipleship. There's ongoing transformation, there's accountability, and there's prayer warriors for us. I don't believe our baptismal robes can be complete without the community of the body of Christ. Beloved, the moment you were baptized was the, the defining moment of your life or of your child's life. Choosing to be spiritually formed into the image of Christ is a daily process. It involves daily laying down our lives and daily making formational practices a habit. That's true for all of us. No matter which moment on our timeline we were baptized, 
We are all on the same trajectory, aiming to be made into the image of Christ, the beloved of the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit and raised in glory. So let us fix our eyes on the risen Christ. In the name of the Father. Thank you, Terry. Let me pray for us and into that vision that Terry shared for us right before we moved to baptisms. Gracious and almighty God, we do thank you for this um, anchor point that we share in Christ, that we are beloved sons and daughters in and through him. For any of us who are unsure of that or doubting that this morning, would your Holy Spirit minister to our hearts? And Lord, as we consider this vision that uh, Terry has unfurled for us of kind of the weaving together of our baptismal clothes and the invitation to these practices, to this way of life, would your Holy Spirit impart to us courage and desire, creativity and discipline that for ourselves, for our households, we might pursue this way and be made more like your son. We pray this in his name. Amen.